Thank you so much for being here today. This is a new and exciting episode of the Exxon Magazine podcast. I am Diana Olenik, your host. And today we're going to be speaking about someone amazing. Today we're going to be speaking with a trained cognitive scientist, Daniel Sproul, who has been working with VR for over 10 years. As researcher, studying human navigational behavior, as a UX designer, laying groundwork in early VR interaction design, and as a co-founder of Realities.io, exploring the possibilities of VR and photogrammetry. This work is driven by the hope that if we get spatial computing right, it holds the chance to make computing less abstract, more explorable, more embodied, and ultimately more human. I really, really love this type of approach. We are going to have fun listening to everything that Daniel has to say, and especially what he has to say about his knowledge and experience on human computing, as well as the experience creating puzzling places. Let's do it. I cannot wait. Thank you so much, Daniel, for being here today. I'm super, super excited. Please let us know how did you get started in this amazing journey, your background, um, maybe from the time that you were even in university, how it has mm -hmm. all been. Uh, yeah, I actually ended up uh, like or my first touch points with VR actually were in university. So um, my background is in, in cognitive science. And um, as, as part of my program, I, I went abroad uh, and uh, for like a semester and uh, we had to pick, uh, uh, you know, like a, a lab where we wanted to go to. And I ended up in a, a VR lab. Um, and so uh, there uh, in, in Vancouver and uh, there I um, ended up uh, for the first time from my end uh, working with VR um, as a research tool. Um, so we did... Uh, studies about human navigational behavior and their VR was a super great tool, of course, because you can, um, you know, adjust the available cues in the environment and you can record a lot of things and you can, can mess with the environment in interesting ways. And that allows you to find out more about like, how do people find their way? Which cues do they use? If you take that away, you know, can they still find the way or is there a difference in strategies? And so, uh, that, that's how I got into touch with VR, but that was actually before the, uh, before even the Oculus uh, Rift Kickstarter. So that was back in the days when, when, uh, the HMDs were like still like super huge and clunky, uh, and uh, costing thirty thousand um, so dollars. So it's uh, yeah, over over a decade ago now. Amazing! The technology has advanced so much then because now it's kind of like more accessible. Thank you for sharing those beginnings. That is inspirational because, of course, you can see in such a period of time so much change, right? Like it's it's amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, just when I left Vancouver, basically when I left the the, the lab there. Um, I, I, the, the, the Kickstarter was happening, Oculus, uh, DK1 was coming out, and, um, then I got connected via a friend to, uh, people working at Audi, and they just started making their first, uh, virtual, um, yeah, configurator for their cars. Uh, and so they were looking, like, uh, desperately for people who had any clue about VR, like, worked in any capacity with VR, and so I joined there, and then, uh, kind of, uh, got, got, uh, yeah, sucked into this whole VR renaissance that the uh, Oculus DK1 kicked off. 
um, working in different places. Uh, Audi wasn't mine. Uh, it's uh, too corporate for me. But then I uh, switched to uh, to a um, agency uh, that actually did the work for them and worked as a UX designer there. Uh, in those early days. And that was, of course, like super, super fun um, because no one had any clue about what to do. And we were all figuring it out as we went. Uh, and there was so much to experiment and so much to learn, like so much new hardware coming out all the time. Um, that was super, super fun. Um, and yeah, eventually uh, ended up uh, going to the meetups, finding my co-founders there uh, that I ultimately ended up uh, founding Realities I owe with. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. So... Going a little bit back, you mentioned that you became sort of a specialized or you were studying the field of human navigational behavior. So -hmm. for some people, that might be something very new. We'd like to know how it is actually and how it relates to VR in the work that you've been doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, those were like, that was a very scientific way, right? Like you, you would, you would like uh, back then, for example, we worked a lot with, with a, a, um, virtual environment that was basically just a particle field, like a star field. And you would like traverse the star field. And, um, then we would have different conditions. Either you would just traverse it and see the visual motion. So just, which is just this feeling of motion that is just conveyed for visual stimuli is called vection. Like you, you maybe know that from sitting in the train when the like train next to you starts like moving and you think you're moving, but it's actually the other train. This is like this illusion is called action. Um, and, uh, then we would also have like a chair that we could rotate. So we would like, um, analyze if, if we added rotation, then like would people perceive this traversal through a virtual space differently? And so, you know, piece by piece, we were like adding or like taking away different cues and different stimuli to find out like what is important. Um, and, uh, for example, I did a, a study, um, that, that looked into if there, there's like a famous, yeah, kind of navigational strategy thing, um, that was, was proven, but mainly on white college students, as that's the main, uh, group that, that these kind of studies at universities often look into. Uh, and I, um, looked them into, did a, like a very large scale experiment with different people um uh with with different backgrounds and different different ethnicities uh different gender um and and sh- could actually show that this was the 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 way this navigation would happen was very much like uh something that was in a western context so like a lot of uh, you know Caucasians did that and it was different for other groups uh so that is always interesting to like look into these strategies and what happens there and VR is of course a great tool um to conduct these kind of studies yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. So then after you had this role, you mentioned you grew into creating realities that I owe. Is that how it all happened? Mm-hmm. And and how was the beginning actually of realities that I owe? Mm-hmm. Um, no, the, the beginnings were, were, as I said, like uh, I met my co-founders at the VR meetups in, uh, in Munich, actually. Um, uh, David Finsterwalder back then had this amazing prototype uh, of like a photogrammetry scan of an archaeological site that he made a demo of and um, that kind of like sparked the whole idea and um, we eventually got together uh, founding a company together ended up getting into Boost VC uh, the accelerator um, in, in San Mateo in the States um, and then things went really quickly and uh, that was that was uh, end of 2015 beginning of 2016 so that was just before the f- the first consumer headsets were coming out 
Um, so that was, of course, like a very interesting time when a lot of things were happening. And so we uh, had the chance to to go to San Francisco and, and work there basically uh, at Boost VC, uh, building our MVP, uh, which was uh, realities uh, on, on Steam. Um, so that was like a, a one-to-one um, kind of like travel experience that allowed you to um, to explore places, real world places through VR. So this this core idea of, of realities IO was always like to make real world places explorable that were out of reach before. And um, so we use uh, 3D scanning technologies to basically scan a real world place. For example, a church, uh, we scanned the Cologne Cathedral uh, as an example, or, you know, like a cell in Alcatraz. Um, and then um, we can process them. So they run in VR, and you can, you know, like get to a place. For example, in Cologne Cathedral, we mainly scanned locations that are off limits usually for visitors that you cannot go to. Like you cannot like walk all the way up to the altar uh, because that's that's you know just off limits. But uh, we got permission to do it, and then we could scan it. And so now you can, as like a virtual visitor, see all these spots and like get really close uh, to that. Uh, so that was kind of like this first incarnation of this idea of like making real world places explorable in a you know the most straight straightforward way um using these this kind of intersection of 3D scanning technology that was uh, uh advancing really rapidly at that time and also immersive technologies as VR um and combining these two together. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing that how how it all began. So what type of uh, devices or or what did you use in order to gain those sc- scans when that happened? Did you use drones? How was the, the process of that? Mm-hmm. We've been mainly working with a, a technique called photogrammetry. So photogrammetry is like nothing new. It actually has been around since about uh, the time the uh, yeah, photograph has been invented, so 1800s, uh, late 1800s. And um, if you take multiple photographs of the same thing with enough space between them from the perspectives, uh, so-called parallax between the images, um, you can basically find the same feature on different photographs. And uh, if you find the same feature, you can um, use some, some math to basically judge the depth of that certain feature. And you can also judge where the camera was when it took that picture. So that is, of course, like nice if you do that for one or two spots, but that won't make a model. But if you, you know, use modern GPUs, uh, you can do that with millions and millions and millions of points. And um, so if you take a lot of pictures of a place, this allows you to create a point cloud. Um, you can take that point cloud and mesh it. Um, so turn it into a 3D model. And then you can take these photos that you shot uh, to create all that and project them onto it like a wallpaper. Um, and then this allows you to create this very, very detailed, um, uh, very photorealistic uh, uh, yeah, copy of a real world object um, that you then can use in VR. And uh, so this has been around for a while. Like when we started, it was a very like labor intensive process and the, the tools were not great. But the thing that that, that really was hard is the, the models that you get out of uh, a photogrammetry process are usually way too heavy. Uh, so performance-wise, to use them in VR, right? Like we all know, VR has has like you know the very highest performance cost because you need 90 frames a second or 72 on a Quest or something like that. You have this wide field of view, and uh, so you need to optimize your assets in a way that they can run real time. And that is where we put in a lot of work to not only like create very detailed scans, but also to like optimize them in a way so they still look good 
uh, but they can actually run in real time for VR applications. And like going to this entire bridge um, was was where we spent a lot of time um, on the technical side. Um, but at the same time, also from the very early beginnings, we were we were very interested not only in the technical side. Of course, the technical side is the foundation and is super important. But at the same time, to also explore like okay, what is actually interesting, you know, applications that you can use this for? So where, where, where do you can, where can you generate real value? Um, uh, because it's, it's, you know, it's not, not something that works for everything. Like, so for like a lot of games, for example, yeah, sure. Like it would be nice to have like more photorealistic assets, but it comes with drawbacks. So it's not a fit. So we were always like kind of interested in finding like the, the, the niches and the applications and the, uh, places where using this technology made sense and could create something that is very unique and very special. Um, and yeah, one of these like things that of course came always up for us is like, we don't want to like just bring any place into VR, but like we want to bring places into VR that, that are not accessible because th those are the ones that of course become most interesting for you to, to visit. Um, it's, it's also not going to be great to like, just, you know, sit in be sit, sit on like a scanned beach. Uh, aside the fact that water is really hard to scan because it moves all the time. So, um, but that, you know, like a, a real beach will always be better because you want to feel the sun, you want to feel the, the, the sand, you want to, you know, smell the, uh, smell the sea. But, um, if, if there's places, especially also uh, historical uh, places, you know, cultural heritage sites that you just won't be able to get to because it adding, you know, bringing a lot of tourists there breaks down the place. Uh, or damages the place, um, that is, of course, a great application of something that you can do. Or sometimes places are just, you know, too too uh, too dangerous to go to. Um, we work, for example, with um, friends of ours, uh, now here media, um, on on a, a documentation or a documentary that's um, about a, a father um, in Iran, uh, Iraq, sorry, that came back after the war um there uh, to his house um and uh, then lost two of his sons in a booby trap left behind by ISIS and telling these kinds of stories in in the real place you know they scanned his house we processed it for them um uh, suddenly creates a very different connection like uh, like a, a very it, it makes it so much more tangible and and real um so working on and there there you know and because it is this this idea of like a documentary like it you want to have that authenticity and a, a photogrammetry scan is really good at providing this type of authenticity um uh, in in a project like that um so that that project for example ended up also being uh, shown at the UN in in New York um for raising funds for demining efforts um so uh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of different things that we've tried out over the years uh, of like what can be done with with photogrammetry. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I think that especially what I want to bring forward is when you mention that there are different experiences that can be done, but what is very unique about yours, in my opinion, is my, when you mention. The, these places that cannot be easily accessible. Um, there is this tendency for sometimes when we're starting out in this field to create a stuff and initially replicate the same thing that is out there. But the power is when it has so much potential to create this solution for these problems that is not easily accessible. 
that then anybody can, you know, take advantage of, of, of the, of the actual app. So I think that this is something super, super important when designing or creating or developing experiences that it should be by a standard, something that cannot be done in real life or it's difficult. It will be difficult. So then it becomes a real, a real solution to a real problem, not trying to find, you know, what, what can I, what, what can be the problem? So I can justify my creation. That, that is the wrong, the wrong way, in my opinion. Exactly. It's not, not just about, like, you know, finding, oh, I was like, oh, I have this cool technology. Like, I'm just going to do like something, something that feels cool with it. But like, yeah. that, that's why I said, like, we really, for us, it was important from, from the start to like really think about this more deeply and like, okay, where, where does this make sense? Yeah. Where, where can we create something that really adds? that really creates value. And, you know, we scanned like coal mines that were like thousand meters underground. Like you cannot go there. Like you're not allowed or like um, worked with, with, with other storytellers about, you know, these, these type of social impact work. And, and there, there's always, there's always, there's so many places that we cannot go or that are transient. You know, for example, we, we also scanned a, a street art exhibition in a, a house uh, here in Berlin. Uh, it's like over a hundred rooms. That was or every single room, like, uh, like, yeah, uh, basically a different artist was in there creating, creating sculptures, creating, um, um like, uh, street art on the walls. And afterwards it was knocked down. So this place is gone. Like it doesn't exist anymore. Like the only way you can still visit it is, is in the scans that we made. Um, so it's almost like time traveling. In, yes. In that yes. Um, and there's, there's, you know, like there's, there's, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Um, and a lot of, a lot of things that are worthwhile, I think that you can do mm-hmm. and to, to connect things, places, uh, uh, objects, um, locations to people that would just otherwise not be able to, to connect to those. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now that you're just speaking a little bit about, you know, what makes sense to create, et cetera. Because you've been studying this field, I wonder how exactly, in your opinion, can we make computing more human? Mm-hmm. I, I think that that was actually the thing that initially drew me to VR or as a as a cognitive scientist. Um, like in modern cognitive science, is a lot about this idea of embodiment. That that you know we are not just like a like a a brain in a jar, like we're just our, our, you know, like, uh, like consciousness or like, uh, just our intelligence, but like that, that there is something deeply embodied about us that we are only who we are because we are embodied creatures in a world that has certain rules that reacts in certain ways. And, um, like, like our whole nervous system is not just our brain. It's like distributed for our entire body. And, the classical paradigm of computing for me was always very, um, very cognitive, like, you know, very logical, very like about, you know, like I'm, I have like a piece of plastic that I'm moving on my desk and that moves like something on like a flat screen that we, we just don't realize anymore how absurd that is in the end, how like far away from our everyday life as, as like an embodied creature that is like, because we, we're used to it now uh, and we'd like try to create these meta metaphors and so on. Um, and, and for me, VR was always interesting because like suddenly there was this embodied component, you know, like 
you you have a body you can move uh, and and you know like i think that is that is something when when, when people are playing beat saber that they feel that yeah right? they, they feel like it, it's engaging on a whole different level because like it's not just like clicking it's it's like an entire entire bodily motion that you're training and um and this this also perception wise right like our screens are 2D, they're flat, which makes sense. You know, please don't bring Excel into into VR. I was a little shocked when I heard that at uh, MetaConnect. Uh, that was always my uh, my pet peeve. Like, there's some things that are great on like 2D screens and uh, or should stay there, but um, there's there's other things like anything that is 3D by nature, um, like having them on a flat screen and having to do that work of mentally translating like a like a 2D depiction of a 3D object back mm-hmm. into like a 3D representation is a big skill actually. Like uh, people don't realize that, but that's like a big skill that you have to learn. You know, like architects have to train like years for that. Uh, and and it, it's only because of a limitation in our technology um, uh, that, mm-hmm. that we had. And like suddenly you can take a 3D object and you can like experience it in a way that is just like supernatural and effortless because it's like how we evolved as people, you know, using stereo vision. Um, and, and these, these opportunities and possibilities were, were what I think is the big chance, uh, that VR has on making computing more human of like, you know, we don't, we don't sit with this, with this glass wall between us and like cyberspace, like when with VR, like we, we step into cyberspace and it, it has the possibility to design, be designed in a much more human way. And with AR, like, you know, the cyberspace comes to us, uh, in a way, uh, and, and, and shares our world suddenly in a, in a much more intuitive way. And it, it, it just follows this, this, this progression of user interfaces. You know, we started with, uh, with punch cards when people were first programming computers, uh, that was like super, super abstract and only like, a you know, very skilled people could do that. Then eventually we moved to like a command line interface that was a bit more approachable and, you know, it was at least like text-based. You didn't have to like just translate that in your head and then eventually we got to like a GUI like a graphical user interface that at least you know you it was somewhat explorable like before it was not explorable at all like suddenly you could move around it could like oh how does it react and then we went to touch screens which we got even like a little closer to to this virtual realm but we could like suddenly touch it at least a little bit mm-hmm. and and VR is like the next step for me like it, it breaks this barrier um, and and enables us to be more human while we interact with digital spaces. Thank you so much. And that was going to be my next question. It's like we are in sync <laughs> about mm. how to design the right UIs in your opinion in VR, because this is a little bit of a controversial topic. It seems like we are experimenting, right? We are all are experimenting at a certain extent, but of course we want to hear from someone who has the experience, who, who has the knowledge and the insights. So, what are your thoughts about it? Like, what are the right ones? Because we're speaking about 2D. Does it make sense to bring the 2D UIs? You know, like, it's, it's a question that we all are, sometimes we have it in the back of our minds. No, sure. And it's a huge question. And I'll, 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 I'
spoiler, uh, I will not have the, the one and only answer. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to make, make things more complicated. <laughs> now, I think this is maybe like also a good time to tie in uh, the, the latest project that we've been working on, uh, which is our first game called Puzzling Places. Yeah. So uh, in, in Puzzling Places, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a puzzle game. It's a jigsaw puzzle game. So we're still following this idea of like making real world places explorable that were out of reach before. But uh, instead of like having them one to one as like something that you can walk in, uh, we actually ended up going a very different approach. And we take we, we're like we're taking scans of, of places and we're cutting them into little puzzle pieces. And they become like a 3D jigsaw puzzle that you can then, you know, put back together in a very relaxing, meditative way. So that that is like the the, the core idea of the game. It's very simple, very very, yeah. Uh, we, we we try to to you know this game loop of, of of jigsaw puzzling has been around for over 300 years, and it's a very powerful game loop. It's a very proven game loop. And for us, it was always about basically not getting in the way of that game loop because it works. Uh, and and so for us, uh, that's that's where informed a lot of our UI design um, was was this this idea of like okay, in this case, we have a very clear application, we have a very clear design goal, and I think that is 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 like the first step when designing a, a, a you know VR like you know spatial computing interface. I think is you really have to know what you're designing for and who you're designing for. Uh, because that, that, that will, you know, lead to like very, very different outcomes. Mm -hmm. And, um, for us that even during the time when we were designing, we always came back to this questions like, who is this for? Uh, how, you know, and, 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 and what should, what should it do? What is like these core feelings and these core goals that we have? And, and for, for puzzling cases, it was very simple. It's like simple, it's meditative. It should not get in the way. And it's for people that are very new to design, uh, to, to VR. It's like not expert users. We want this to work for everybody. Um, and, and so like these things were super important, um, when, when designing. And this might be very, very different if you, you know, designing a, 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 a professional application for, you know, architects to design something that they will power users. They will want to work in a very different way in a much more complex way. And probably you will end up designing a very different interface. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to talk about what we did for puzzling places, yeah. um, on that side to, to, to keep it simple. Um, so as I said, like with puzzling places, it's, we, we are working in this very three dimensional space, right? Like we have a, it's a 3D jigsaw puzzle. Um, so what we wanted it to be is we wanted everything to take place in this peripersonal space, like the space that you can reach with your arms, um, because there is this very magical thing in VR, uh, like anything that is within arm's reach, you perceive in a slightly different way. It's actually also like mapped to different areas of your brain, whether it's like in, in the reach that you can, like in a space where you can reach with your arms or if it's like further away. And um, this is what we wanted to, to, to focus on. And there, you know, there's the most most intuitive way is just like grab things. You just like you grab things, you move them around, you, you put pieces together, you let go, they click together. Like it's, it's, it's super simple. And then of course we needed a place where we could put the other pieces. Uh, so you wouldn't be like swept and like drowning in pieces in, in this like closed space. So we had like a shelf that was very 2D because that is very optimized for just visibility. You want to just, you know, see all the pieces that there are, you know, select one and you bring it here. That's why we had this kind of like force pull mechanic. Um, and you can push them back again if you don't need them. So there's this distinction between like this is your workspace and this is kind of like where everything else is. 
Uh, and again, you can you can then you know optimize in in, in different ways. Uh, so we actually spend a lot of time. And our art director uh, uh, Sharabi, he he got like very frustrated at some point with the, the environment because he he was he was trying to find something that just makes you feel grounded in in the space. So it's not nothingness, but at the same time, is so minimalistic uh, that that it doesn't like impede on the readability of the pieces. And uh, that turned out actually to be a, a very, like, it took us quite some time to arrive at this thing that now feels very minimalistic and very obvious. Um, so we, for example, unlike a lot of other apps, we don't have a horizon line because this horizon line kind of like would always be another line in front of like, the, the silhouettes of the, the jigsaw pieces. Um, a, another thing that we, that we, like another goal that we set ourselves and that we actually learned during the development um, was that that everything the entire game has to be playable with only one button, so you only only press one button and you can play and complete the entire game. So we wanted that to to uh, to be like that because we knew that our game would be uh, you know played by by novice users, and we also wanted it. We had this feeling it can be like a very good game to show people VR for the first time, and that's something that we think is still powerful. And um, that is why why we ended up. Um, designing every like more complex interaction through tools. So there's on top of your pieces, there's like a bunch of tools, for example, like a grouping tool. Uh, during the development, we had like this whole complex thing of like how you can select multiple pieces and you can grab them, move them around. And we pushed that to our early uh, testers and they immediately hated it. They were like super confused. We loved it. Like it felt really great. We tested it. It was like, oh yeah, this is super. We pushed it out to users. They didn't get it at all. Mm -hmm. And that's really when we realized like this was this, we're making things too complicated. We're getting in the way of puzzling. Like this does not need to be. Um, so we, we, we threw it all out again. Uh, we went back to this idea of like, okay, just like one, one interaction. And if any more complex interaction needs to occur, it will occur through a tool. So now we have like a little icon. You pull that to you, just like a piece, and you can like drop pieces into it and and you know move them around. Now they're grouped, and um, yeah, so that that's it's it's a you know it's an iterative process, but it's it's you, again and again you come back like who are you designing for? How should it feel like? Does it still you know that uh, does it get in the way? And and ideally you know any any interface I think especially in VR is as transparent as possible in the sense that you are not even aware of there being an interface. Um, and then, you know, other tricks are, of course, like think about the, the types of interactions that happen a lot. You know, for us, like the core loop is like pulling a piece, moving a piece around, a piece around, clicking it in. And like, especially like this, this connecting pieces, it has to be super satisfying. Like that's, that's the, you know, this little, little, uh, like a success that you have. Mm -hmm. So, so we spent some time, uh, in, in like finding the right click sound, you know, it's, mm -hmm. and it's worth it. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to spend some time on this kind of interaction. Yeah. Whereas, you know, for example, our menu, I, I, I'm still not happy with our menu. It's not great. It's, it's like a very like basic 2D UI, like you pointed it, but you don't spend so much time in there. And we rather like took the time and like polished mm -hmm. the core game instead of like polishing the menu. So there we went with, with, with tools that were there because, you know, in Unreal, uh, we're, we're making the game in Unreal uh, Engine 4. In Unreal, you have like tools to very simply make these uh, lists and, and tile views and so on, and then project them onto like a 2D layer. If we would have more time, sure, I would love to like make a more spatial menu, but it's it's not it's not the, the essence of the game. The essence of the game is when you're puzzling. And so that's where we spend most of the time uh, during the design work. Um, yeah, so 
I, it's 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 always a, you know making compromises and, and 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 like thinking about like where do you put your time where do you not put your time and and coming back to your to your first first principles and like uh, your audience uh-huh. thank you so much wow that's amazing i know puzzling places and by the way by the way i love the name has done super well in the store like in oculus so what do you use initially to first of all make the people you know when someone is starting out believe you know in the app like how do you make like do you use any other strategies for marketing how do you market one app like uh, an app like this one how do you bring it to people because as i mentioned you you might be good to answer this question <laughs> thank you yeah um sure so i i think we did something we we made a lot of lucky moves that we weren't aware uh, at the time. Um, but looking looking back, there, there there's one one kind of like red line that goes through the entire development. So, um, the the, the idea of puzzling places actually came about through like a <laughs> through like an import error. So we like usually slice our meshes uh, for performance reasons. And once uh, back in 2018, like we imported one of the meshes and it was like all jumbled up instead of like lining up and uh, shower like. Uh, uh, um, art director and, and, and technical artist was joking. It's like, haha, we should just like ship it like that and let people puzzle it together. And we were like, ha, that's a great oh idea, actually, goodness. because that that was like this 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 core this core thing that we were like looking for so long to have like something that is more scalable. That way we don't have to, you know, like every experience that we create, we we would create from scratch, but where we can just like use photogrammetry meshes and and like cool places which we can prepare very quickly. Uh, in a way so that the people can enjoy them and get in, get, can interact with them, um, without having to, you know, reinvent the wheel every time. So we, we saw that like in this early, early idea already and then made a prototype and so on, but we didn't have the time to really work on it. And then, um, the, the, the time actually came end of 2019. We started diverting like a little bit more resources and starting to get funding for it. And then uh, the pandemic hit, and in in these first like five weeks of lockdown, uh, everybody went uh, you know home, and we had to work remotely. And we we set ourselves to go because all the other uh, projects kind of like were delayed or like canceled. We're like, okay, we're gonna like spend four weeks on this, and we're gonna prototype the game, and we're gonna bring it on SideQuest um, because it was such a like out there idea, and we loved it. You know, we had an internal prototype already that we that we loved, uh, but we were like very unsure if this is something. You know, people enjoy is that just like for photogrammetry weirdos like us who, who who like a game like that. And so we built this very early prototype and we put it out there and we got this validation very early on. Like people loved it on SideQuest. So we got so much good feedback um, uh, and, and, and so much excitement um, that we were like, OK, we we really want to make this into a game. Um, and but at that time, then, you know, all, we already had like a, a start of like a, a community. And uh, they immediately were like the first thing that everybody was asking for is like, we need more puzzles. We need more puzzles. Like uh, there was just like one puzzle in there at the moment. And uh, so we started development, but we realized like we have to give them something, you know, in the meantime, Uh, otherwise it would be like, uh, like a year or two before we have the next thing. And so we wanted to keep that conversation going and also continue learning from, from, from them because there was so much like, really great feedback coming in from the players. So we started a Patreon campaign actually to um, also try out if, if people are actually, you know, if people like the game enough to, to, uh, to buy it. Um, because that's also often, often a, a problem I feel in VR is like, 
things are like really cool for the first time and you try them out and you're like really excited about it. Uh, but then does it really, you know, bring people back? Does it really bring people back and they're re- willing to pay? Is it that good or is it just like, you know, like a novelty thing? Yeah. And so we wanted to like test that out early on as well. And uh, we created this uh, Patreon and uh, where we uh, released a, a, a puzzle every week, like a test puzzle. And uh, we were like super, like, I think at some point, I don't know, like we had, we had a lot of patrons. I don't even know the, the exact number anymore, but it, it was, it was like an order of magnitude more than what we ever expected. Uh, wow. so, so, I mean, we, you know, we thought there's going to be like a hundred people or so signing up and it's going to be like a nice little group that we can work with, but they, there was actually like a lot of people signing up and, and, and getting these puzzles and they were really excited about getting these monthly puzzles. So we, we, we helped this core community and we were able to grow it. And then eventually we, you know, had like another, like better version on, on app lab when that came out, um, wow. uh, to get even more people in, get more feedback and, and eventually got on the store, um, and then the day we came on the store, you know, we had all these people lined up, uh, ready to buy the game and they, they wanted the game. And that is, that is, that is invaluable. And especially for like a tiny indie studio for like our first game, you know, we have no brand in that sense that, that like, you know, we're not a triple A studio where people will like pre-order stuff or like, but that having that like day one people that buy your game, leave your reviews and, and, and like are excited about the game, also push it and like, you know, that was, I think, the the, the best thing that that that, that we kind of like stumbled into, um, but in the end was so valuable to have that. And yeah, I mean, we 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 haven't done any paid advertisement, like you know, like it did, I I think it's really hard in VR from what I hear. We also like just for the longest time didn't have the skills to like how to do that. So it's all organic growth. It's all like uh, word of mouth. I mean, we we for over a year we were like the best rated uh, game on the store. Uh, uh, only recently, uh, uh, lost that spot. Now it's getting a bit more contested at the moment. Um, but it, you know, these things are great. People just like love the game. We got like good press. Yeah. YouTubers played it. And, and you know, you, you have to find your audience. You have to get to know your audience. Like our audience, for example, is very untypical. Like our audience is very old. Um, so compared to like the average, uh, uh, like quest user. Um, and you know, like, learn who they are like find find out where they where they hang out and then just like you know uh, i don't know um try to try to get the the word out of your game and make a good game and that's that's for for us it's 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 also been just like be nice to to your users and it will pay off you know yeah. through the reviews through like the word of mouth and and we've been we've been every month uh, uh releasing new puzzles new content uh we've been regularly releasing new features um and and I think people feel that if, if if you know that is an honest thing that you that you enjoy that the team enjoys and, and you know we were active on our Discord talking to them, um, so that's that's been our um, our strategy so far. Um, of course, that that only gets you so far. You also hit a wall. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Um, so we are looking into alternatives now. You know, like if we want to like look into more more. Uh, advertisement or something like that it is it is essential that you have good connections to the store i mean you have to get into like the promos and so on just to get the reach on the store um but uh yeah so that's 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 how we've done it again like you know like it worked for us if it's going to work for someone else i don't know i think we we were also very lucky again with like being at the right right spot and at the right time so we were like on side quest when it was really small still and was really easy to surface i if we would like go the same route today i don't know if it would work 
so um, be be careful to to just like look what other people did and what worked back then. Like mm -hmm. you always got to be, I think, on the lookout for like uh, where are you at now and what what works for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, you know, like your opening on how actually the process went and uh, advising everybody. I, I always say everybody is in their own path. We don't necessarily have to make assumptions, right? That if this model works like this, I have to follow the same model because it is, we cannot control the life in that way, right? Like it is timing, like it's about. Yeah, I think it's dangerous. Opportunity it, is, it, and... is, yeah, it is super dangerous to assume that. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. Thank you so much. Wow. It has been an amazing conversation. I'm super excited. I've been using puzzling places because it's so fun and it's so relaxing, as you mentioned. Um, I invite anybody to try it. Um, It's for maybe you come from work and you are stressed. Maybe you are a little bit tired. You, you know, like you have mentally, you're like strained. Maybe you just come and enter into a more relaxing way to see these beautiful spaces, like beautiful sceneries, like buildings. And then you just forget about your stress or your stuff. You just you know, unwind your mind, just relaxing. Putting yeah, we're always, we're always joking. It's a, it's a meditation app in disguise and it, <laughs> it's, it's like almost tricking you into mindfulness. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. I love it. I love it. I really love it. It's, I think that the best apps are the ones that don't necessarily, you know, have to push you into, Hey, this is going to do this for you, but you just do it. And it's going to have that effect. You don't have to know the name. You don't have to know the technical name. You don't have to know the behind, what is happening behind, but, but it's just defect. The most important is defect. So super beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Daniel. I'm super excited. Um, inviting anybody to join the Discord if they want. Uh, I believe it would be puzzling places or how, what is, how they can find the Discord, the exactly. webpage. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean it's it's on the website um, uh, realities.io or um, I think also on our uh, no I think Quest made us take it down from there so it's not on there anymore but uh, yeah you'll 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 find it uh, okay for sure okay thank you so much yeah so this has been a great episode I'm inviting anybody to also check our other episodes as well and to check the work that Daniel and his team has been doing amazing work thank you so much. And uh, please consider subscribing or giving us a review. This is super important for us in order to grow. Thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Bye.